All right, and can everyone put a thumbs up if you can hear me? And I'm not the one that's making the noises in the background, right? <laughs> you, you, you don't hear any abstract noises or other kind of like radio. <laughs> Samantha, I'm looking at here, you. Sam? It may have come from a random thing I had up on my computer from earlier in the morning. So I will own that, that that appears to have been my doing. So thank you for going through that exercise. I mean, okay. I was going to talk about the voices that you may be hearing, but I didn't want to go there. Like, <laughs> but everybody was muted. I'm like, I am still hearing that. What is, and then I was, thank you for that exercise. I apologize. No worries. No worries. We all have those voices every now and again, you know. <laughs> randomly coming from our computer. Um, yeah, so so basically the, the purpose of this meeting and the, the subsequent meetings is to first for this meeting, talk about the needs assessment. We do want to still conduct a survey of the 200 plus nonprofits in the area to determine you know, what, the, what the need is and how we can assess that, how we want to um, look at the proportion of need and then be able to identify ways that we can help to, to either reapportion or figure out a way that we want the buckets to look um, look like from, from the county's perspective. And so if you attended either of the, the sessions for the listening sessions, you know, what we are looking at are, are three buckets based on um, you know, what the county has described as needs, what the Board of Supervisors has described as a need, and then what um, what we've heard from multiple sources over the course of the last year. However, you know, we are also making sure that that if that's no longer the case, no longer the need, then we want to make sure that we are able to be nimble and adjust as needed. Um, hence the the point of the survey. So, so I do just want to go through the survey that we did last year and, and kind of talk about um, in in what ways we need to change the survey or look at it from a different perspective um, and, and better you know, better understand the needs that you're seeing. And I will say, you know, we are going to preface this with data. Essentially, we, we understand the need for, for data and we understand the need that, that we have to accommodate and abide by um, federal compliance requirements. So, you know, we are, are looking at this with, with eyes wide open, um, but we also want to make sure that we are accommodating the needs of the community. So I'm just going to pull this up on my screen and we'll go through what last year's needs assessment looked like. And this is what we used to determine the categories last year. Let me see here. Here we go. Can everyone see my screen? I can't see everyone here. There we go. Yes, okay. Enlarge, okay. Is that better? Okay. All right. 
So last year, what we really wanted to look at was um, because we were in the middle of the pandemic and ARPA funding came after CARES dollars and was then supplemented with general fund dollars. So we we ended up having CARES then general fund dollars to support um, nonprofits and then went into ARPA funding. What we wanted to do was really just get a year's look at, at what the needs were. And so all of this is prefaced on 12 months as of 2021. And this was in uh, March, April of 2021. And so what we found is just, um, you know, the very first question was, has your organization supported residents that have been negatively impacted? Short answer is yes. Um, and then, you know, what what supports were most needed? And it was obvious that food supports were mostly needed. And then the other category kind of stuck out. And that was education. That was um, making sure that that transportation and um, multiple services were kind of packaged together. Entertainment, um, you know, getting people out of the house and actually being able to rejoin society. Um, were were major components as well. And so, you know, what we focused our our attention on were the first three buckets, the food supports, rental assistance, utility assistance, and then the emergency services um, that many of you have provided over the course of the last year. And then when we talk about, um, you know, how the impact had hit each organization, you know, we are looking at increased expenses, decreased revenue. That was what was um, anticipated last year from the previous 12 months. And um, not really sure right now, based on the data that we have, that this continues to be accurate. Um, given that many of the reports, what we're finding is um, some of, well, many, I will say many of the reports uh, that are being issued or rather responded to um, from compliance, they're less than clear on what the need actually is and what the need continues to be. Here we know that there was increased expenses, decreased revenue, increase in clients, but based on year over year and spending um, expenditures, that there's just, it's it's unclear what we know right now. Um, so we may need to change this question to better understand how we want to word the negative impact because there's the negative impact to the organization, but then there's the negative impact to residents. And so, you know, we focused on the organizations in um, the previous needs assessment. So this question may need to be changed. And as we move on, you know, we asked what would be most important, um, you know, to residents in the next 12 months. We continue to um, really support the idea that, that we know that there are program expansions. We know that there are programs that have been stood up as a result of COVID. And we know there are long-term effects, but we also want to make sure that these longitudinal or sustained services 
are really serving the purpose of COVID through ARPA. And so we want to make sure that that we are capturing exactly what we want to see as a positive impact and make sure that residents are making a positive impact on, or rather we are making a positive impact on residents, sorry. Also additional priority areas. Again, operations was a huge one because many of you stood up brand new programs or expanded programs. So there was staffing, rent, supplies, basic operations expenses. And that was it. It's a very short survey. And that's what we intend to do in um, the end of March, beginning of April. But I just want to get, get a sense from you and and really have the conversation of of what the needs are, what we need to include in the needs assessment um, in the survey and, and better to better gauge how we can support residents through the nonprofits. So I'm just going to stop there and open it up for comments, questions. Well, I'll start. I'll start. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. <laughs> I'm very shy, as you know. Um, yes. <laughs> so one of the things that I was thinking about in particular when you were looking at question number two, where um, you were saying, you know, here are the things for the past year. And I think it said something like, um, has your revenue stayed the same? Has it declined? Uh, have your expenses stayed? So what I think is, is um, I don't know how to capture this exactly, but um, for a lot of organizations, I would imagine that, uh, that those, you know, I know, for example, we continue to serve a much higher, more than double the amount of people that we were serving pre-COVID. So our budget has increased and our revenues, thankfully, have increased to, to help meet those increased needs. And I don't see that going down anytime soon. So how do we sort of capture that that's like, that's kind of the new normal, right? Like most budgets on a normal trajectory maybe increase 2% a year or 5% a year or whatever. Um, but now we're sort of looking at this being the new normal for what I would imagine is pretty much everybody, um, you know, that is is providing these types of services. So I don't know if it's, I'm just trying to figure out maybe thinking about number two, how do we ask the right questions? Like, do you expect that this is going to remain? Mm. Yeah. So if you, you know, if your budget was $50,000 and now your budget's $100,000 and it went up by, you know, 100% in a year, that's significant growth that, you know, maybe you were able to sustain for this past year because now we're looking back at the last 12 months, I'm imagining. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess the other question is, do we want to look at do you, what is the time frame that you want people to answer? Because obviously you were looking at March of 2020 through March of 2021. Are we looking at April of 2021 through, you know, March of 2022? Mm -hmm. And yeah. during that time, we've had two additional variants. And now we're looking at crazy inflation, which mm -hmm. is all related back to COVID. Um, yeah. I'll stop talking. 
Can I, this is Trish, can I just add one more thing to that? Yeah. Which is the question of what's the baseline? So you're, you're looking at the survey from last year. I think in most people who were responding to that, their, their baseline year would have been 2019. So they were comparing against a non-COVID year. Mm -hmm. um, so I think some clarity around what your baseline year would be, would that be 2019? Are we comparing both last year and this year and a projected year against 2019? Um, mm -hmm. Some clarity around that would help get to what you, I think, need out of that question. Okay, that's helpful. Okay, and, and Nicole, did you have? Yeah, I just wanted to sort of add on, I think what both Trish and Jennifer were saying that to me, I'm, I'm curious to know not so much how the, organization has been negatively impacted financially by the pandemic at this point, but what do they anticipate them needing resource-wise to address their predictions for the next year? Because, again, like Jennifer was saying, it was a wild and crazy year when it came to finances for a number of reasons, but just because they had an increase or decrease in revenue doesn't necessarily indicate what's what they know or for you know what their foresight is for the next six or 12 months ahead yeah you know and that's a really good point and i think we have to 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 figure out and maybe even theorize what that's going to look like right because if we if we expect that um that the majority of organizations are doubling the number of requests and the number of clients that they did prior to COVID-19, that if that's the new normal, then is that going to be due to COVID-19 or is that due to the increased awareness in the community because the need is great and this is um, a network of resources that people can now tap into? Right. So I think we have to think strategically about the questions in a way that fits with both ARPA dollars, because these are federal dollars that will go away um, in 2026 and the the increased need that we will see as the new normal. Um, and I think there may be a series of questions that have to come out of that um, to, to really anticipate and model what the the increases will look like over time because what we're talking about is looking at our past but the the predictions and the modeling and forecasting will be very difficult because of covid but if you're seeing sustained increases how can we anticipate you know through 2024 through 2025 um how to fund those and continue sustainable funding. So I, these are good comments, and I think we need to to really think about how we want to word those questions. Yeah, Samantha. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, I, I think what comes to mind when I listen to that is this idea of defining impact, mm -hmm. because I think COVID has exacerbated existing vulnerabilities, and then I think COVID has created vulnerabilities where there weren't um, vulnerabilities before, whether that's health adversity or poverty, income adversity, um, 
employment access, food vulnerability, you name it. Like, you know, and I, I think if it comes to how we access these dollars and who, and who can access these dollars and who needs the dollars and so on and so forth and how how those where those dollars can best serve our community and our and our and our service providers, I, I think that's a big part of the question because I know when we're trying to define that, you know, from the lens of what laws does in our community, vulnerability exacerbates and increases the likelihood of violence and the stress in families and the, you know, um, the stress in relationships. And so we're seeing a very, very immediate and 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 what we anticipate to be a sustainable impact on our demand for services. And so, you know, if we're asked to make a direct correlation to COVID, I, I think we can do that. Um, but can we make a sustained correlation? I think we can also make that argument, but I think it's about how we're being, how we are asked as um, nonprofits who are seeking the funding to make to make that argument or to define that. Because I think the further we get out from the pandemic and we get into more epidemic circumstances or we get into more longitudinal impacts and, and um, mm -hmm. so forth, I think it's going to become a little less easy or a little harder to define, but I think the impact is still very, very real because it's just exact, it's just unearthed probably um, layers of vulnerability and, and marginality in our community that regardless of whether it's directly related to COVID, we still have the burden of meeting in our community. Um, yes, and, and so, so that makes a lot of sense, Samantha, and I appreciate you saying that because really what we're looking at, you know, for, for ARPA dollars is that, that cross-sectional impact. Um, and so, you know, dollars only go through 2026. So how do we assess for that longitudinal impact that you're talking about? And it's unclear now from just two years of data how we can do that. And um, I think that's a really good point is how we can adjust and be able to create the argument for better, um, better services through um, increased partnership. So, Christine, did you have, you had your hand up. Uh, you kind of were saying what I was going to say, too, to follow up on that. Um, those vulnerabilities are something that ARPA dollars want to address as well. So, even if you have kind of a windy COVID is the problem, um, what it's, what exactly what you said, it exposes a vulnerability or exacerbated a vulnerability. And what we want to do is remove barriers to um, to make those safe places and put someone in a position to come out of this pandemic in a in a way that would sustain them as an individual, as a family going forward. So um, while it might be harder to make a direct connection, it is definitely something that would improve their lives and improve their stability and you know, Treasury talks about those social determinants of health all over their final rules. So those are eligible uses. So even if we're getting into a weird fuzzy area between um, direct COVID impact and just lingering effects, if we're finding solutions to get to the next steps, you know, if it's related to food insecurity, so we can solve this month's food problem, but how do we make next month uh, make sure next month is even more secure so that 
your food isn't a problem. And the month after that, to remove another barrier and month after that. So those solutions are definitely eligible uses. So we can certainly focus on those programs. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of the 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 irony of these dollars, right? Where where we see that these could be used for additional um, resources to maybe study a problem and look at evidence-based practices to come to a solution, which was part of the three buckets. Um, co-location of services was one of the three buckets because it's an evidence-based practice that has real um, impact and positive impact for residents. So that was one of the the solutions because it's something we can study and put into long-term effects and really push for um, push for funding that would support sustained services. And so that's what we we would like to have some input on is is how can we identify what the needs are now? because there are needs now, but then we have to think about six months, a year, five years from now, are residents going to be in the same boat? Are we going to be talking about the need for resources and the need for multiple services five years from now? And, you know, could we use some of these funds to study the effects and think about how we can um, alleviate some of the root causes that could be exacerbating some of the barriers that we're seeing and some of the the multiple um, the multiple layers of of barriers to services. So that's kind of what we're struggling with. And if anyone has some some thoughts or some ideas around how we want to address those, that would be great. Claudia, I see your hand up. Yeah, um, I, I think we have a chicken and an egg scenario because, you know, <laughs> some people go to like Loudon Cares, I can't pay a bill or go to get physical health support and stuff or need jobs or need. But um, also you have mental health, which is a space that, you know, the National Alliance on Mental Illness is who I represent. Um, and if the mental health isn't there, um, it can impact your physical health. It can impact your ability to function at work and you lose your job. And so it's like, I think no yeah. matter where people go to help, we have to assess the holistic needs of the community okay. members. And I love the Human Services Network because it allows us to know who to refer people to for whatever their needs are, you know? Um, okay. So I think... By maintaining that network and the connections and assessing for needs and knowing who to go to, um, I think that's going to be really important. And like for NAMI, we do keep metrics of who we serve and stuff like that. So as we see changes in the trends, we can maybe train more people to facilitate more support, support groups or stuff like that and adjust as needed, you know? So I don't think we necessarily need to forecast how many people need help before we can take action. I think we take action and continue to watch the numbers and 
train people as needed and, you know, have an agile approach. And we talked about that in our disabilities committee as well. You know, we can't wait on figuring out who that audience is before we do something, do something and keep learning and keep adjusting and stuff like that. Yeah, thanks, Claudia. I think that's a really important point because one of the issues that that we run into and I think is part of the the issue around co-location is how we can do exactly what you're talking about. Um, assess holistically because not every organization does that. Um, or um, the same in the same token, organizations can refer, but then their their job ends at the referral, right? There's no follow up. There's no kind of follow through because it's just it's it's a lot of staff time. And so how can we help to alleviate some of these root causes? Um, so I think I think we're hitting the nail on the head. Let's dig a little deeper. I see Nicole and then I see Paul. Um, Paul can go first. I already spoke once. OK, Paul. Hi, everybody. Um, Megan, there's a I think another factor that's emerging that I'm seeing of late, which I guess I would classify as a five dollar a gallon issue in that when we're asking people we're seeing an increased number of people coming for financial help mm -hmm. and the track back to covid i am sure has played a part in all of the circumstances but the immediacy right now is the cost of living rises on the back of whatever it's on the back of we've got a five dollar a gallon issue and people are coming to us in their dozens for additional financial help. So can we relate that to the the funding requests that we would like to be we, we would like to submit under this round of um, grant funding? Yeah, I think that's a good question where we may need to think about how how the requests are generated and then how the cost of living may impact that. And Christine, I see you're putting some things in the chat from Treasury that help to um, help to explain some of the disparities. And do you want to talk a little bit about that before we go to Nicole? Uh, well, and even to go back to the point of, of getting data, um, while Treasury does want us using current evidence-based interventions and programs, what they do know that is they want to promote ideas. And if there are ways and programs that are have maybe shown a little bit of promise, um, but it doesn't have the robust research and evidence behind it, um, they will encourage and they do promote going through with those programs and collecting that data. And if it turns out that this is something that they can maybe promote nationwide, that kind of thing, what they're wanting us to do is just keep track of that data. ARPA dollars can be used to track that data. Um, and then what they would also like to know too is in that search and in that process, if we find any sort of barriers or if there are reasons why it's become difficult to either um, maybe get all of that information. They want to know that kind of stuff too. So um, they don't 
they encourage us to use evidence-based programs, but they don't uh, discourage us from trying something that we feel might work and then just asking us to collect that information and so we can maybe even explore it further down the line. And and so, Christine, I, I do want to make sure that we use the word evaluation yes. um, <laughs> because that is what the, the Treasury and um, the Feds are talking about. Is, yeah. is, is I can find the direct text. I'm just like, yeah. No, I think that's great. I just, I just want to manage expectations yeah. that it's not only data collection, but it is causal inference that they're looking for. They are looking for a cause and effect that really focuses on evaluation data. So if we do come up with a concept or or something that is um, new that doesn't necessarily have an evidence base. We want to make sure that that's that evaluation dollars are covered in that. Um, so that is also part of the large requests is evaluation. So that that also will have to be a part of that. Nicole. Thanks. Um, I just have sort of two more logistical questions. So I'm still a little confused about the timeline of how this survey data could or couldn't impact you know, the board's final decision on this chunk of the ARPA money. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about that. And then the other question I've got is if those sort of three areas for that two million that was in the original recommendation, you know, co-location, mental health and child care are set in stone, then, you know, do we need to use this survey to get some more information about what that needs to look like in, in more detail? Because those, like, it's pretty broad the way it is now. And, you know, I know that just conversations I've heard amongst other nonprofits have been, there's a lot of questions about what that could possibly look like. Um, so yeah. anyway, those are kind of the two yeah. thoughts I had. Yeah, so so I think that, you know, the important part is that we have funding to be able to provide to nonprofits before they lose, before they finish tranche one funding. Um, that was the main priority that we saw moving forward. Um, we don't want to leave nonprofits and residents high and dry as of July 1. Um, so right now, the item has been pushed to April. So we are collecting additional information um, from nonprofits, from others, uh, so that we can better inform the board about how these decisions can be made. Um, it's likely that we will have some sort of either needs assessment or public input process for the remaining eight million um, because there are plenty of needs that we've been able to identify across the county and across services. So we want to make sure that we we have the proper input process. But um, essentially what we see is for the three buckets, they are broad. Um, we don't necessarily want to narrow the focus and define them under parameters that could be restrictive. We want organizations to be able to collaborate and think outside the box. We wanna be able to identify needs and then maybe adjust as the needs assessment survey comes in. So if there is more funding that's needed under emergency services or under um, collaborative services or 
you know, co-location, whatever we want to call it, that's what we would want to then put our funding into. So the buckets that we've identified um, are broad on purpose. And the way that we want to remedy this kind of broad narrative is to make sure that we have organizations collaborating. We use this needs assessment survey to identify maybe that the buckets need to be readjusted in terms of the the finances that go into each, and then we can reassess. So just to make sure I understand, you're saying that the data from this survey, well, you'll get that in time to possibly adjust the recommendation for tranche two. Okay. Yes, and 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 what we can do is actually make sure that um, the the staff recommendation is more broad, so that we just say 2.5 million for nonprofits, and then we leave it open in the buckets to say, okay, it's not 500,000 for emergency services; it's just 2.5 million overall. And then we have time um, to be able to make sure that we've captured all the data, we've had the conversations, and then be able to move forward. Got it. Thank you. Yep. Other questions or comments? This is a great conversation. Thank you. This is very thought-provoking. Megan, I don't, I don't want to dominate. The can you can you follow up to the first um, that that the, like the need? Yeah, uh, no. Yeah, sorry, I just wanted to take a look at that again. I don't have anything to say about it. I just wanted to see it. Sure. Yeah, and again, this was done in late March of last year. So this was March of 2021. And, you know, what we've found is that part of the issue that we are running into from tranche one is that the strategy of funding everyone has not been the best, the best strategy. I will just put that out there in all transparency. Um, it is it is taxing on staff to be able to monitor and follow up on multiple reports that don't comply with federal guidance. And so that's something that we have to struggle with. And it's likely that in the needs assessment survey, we will have a question about the, the ability for an organization to comply with federal regulations. Um, so this is something also that we're we're struggling with and, and we would like some input on because I think it's roughly 13 to 14 percent of organizations who received tranche one dollars that did not require follow up. And multiple rounds of follow up in each quarter. So, you know, that's taxing on staff and therefore we don't have the resources to then devote to other initiatives. So that's something also that we have to consider. Megan, I'm sorry. So are you trying to say that, so you said 13% of the grantees for round one, only 13% of them were able to complete their reports without staff intervention? Correct. Okay. The other 80, whatever, you know, 
That's correct. Required at least one follow-up conversation. Yes. And when you say follow-up, what do you mean? Uh, so, for instance, the data were either incomplete or not in compliance, and therefore it required either a phone call and then um, intervention from staff to remedy the data or multiple phone calls um, and multiple conversations to remedy the data. And I can also add to that is um, not only around the, the demographic data, but lots of follow-up in regards to updates on evaluation or performance results. And then um, to a greater extent, um, follow-up to the expenditure report to where um, reviewers couldn't tie expenses back to, to invoices. Um, so it was things like that. So it was a multiple, multiple reasons why follow-up needed to be done. And Claudia, you, you put something in the chat and I'm wondering if you can elaborate. You said, do we do like a five whys analysis, kind of the root cause analysis. Do you want to elaborate on that? Sure, yeah. So um, basically kind of like when you discipline students in schools, you know, what you see up front might not be what it is, you know, and you kind of okay. have to dig in deeper and, and find out well, why did the person behave the way they do or why did the person need the food support? And if it's because they lost their job, why was the job lost? Oh, but the person needed mental health support. Why was the mental health impacted and so on? So then you dig down into what was the root cause and that, you know, led to the snowballing and because you have to understand that in order to get the person back on their feet, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. And I think especially um, when it comes to to that, it, it might it might be a resource issue. And I'm looking to other organizations to talk about, you know, what data are collected and how how they're collected and how they're received from residents. Um, so I, I would like to answer that question. And then, um, Therese, I did see your, your question about the other responses. I'll just scroll down here and this is the other responses. So. So do any um, any organizations have a, a comment or a response to to Claudia's question about root cause or um, other data that you could or do collect related to the needs? I'll just say that at LHR, um, we've been having similar conversations, right, about why our numbers uh, remain high and, and they're um, climbing. Um, and I think we can guess a lot of similar things like what Paul brought up about inflation and um, and all those sorts of things. But um, but yes, we, we think about how do you best ask those questions while uh, also not, like we're not case managers, we don't have the time to get into multiple questions. Um, but when people make a, 
an appointment, we have a couple of survey questions at the bottom of our appointment, or we ask that when they call to make the appointment. So this may be a way to collect data and ask those kinds of questions. Um, uh, and, and even just, and then otherwise it's sort of anecdotal. Um, if you're not getting it, I think in a large enough number to really inform your um, inform your decision making, but the, it's hard to delve in. I think deeper sometimes. Yeah. So, um, so I will say that I, I want to continue this conversation, and I'm going to turn it over because I have another conflicting appointment. Paul, I see your your hand is up, um, but I don't want to leave you at 1:45 without saying that. Sorry, I have an, a 145. Christine and Barb will take over the facilitation. And, and essentially, just basically, what we want to hear is more of this. This is what we need to better understand how we can set up the needs assessment survey, how we can better understand how to appropriately resource organizations um to to answer the questions that are required for compliance and that are required for data collection as a result of this federal program i think we'll have additional conversations about annual funding at a different time but you know for the arpa funding what is it that we need to know and how can we get that information so um barb and christine i'm just going to kind of turn it over to you Thanks, Megan. So, Paul, um, you have your hand up. Yeah, Bob, I, I just wanted to go back briefly to the 80% point that Megan was making just then. Um, in full transparency, I think Tree of Life are one of the 80% and not the 13% that got everything accurate on, on the first go round. But I think by the very nature of the audience on the screen, our, our primary goal in the past has been to help people. And as we realize the requirement for very robust data collection, we've tried over the course of the past 12 months to be as complicit as we can be without losing sight of the fact that we're really here to help people. So I guess it's a little bit worrying to, to hear that the selection process for the next round of funding, which we need desperately, um, may be somewhat impinged by the fact that we're one of the 80%. Did I hear that correctly, that there'll be potentially less funds available to those that weren't able to accurately present the data, or am I mis mishearing that? Um, I think you're mishearing that. I think we want to get some feedback on your c capacity to be able to provide the data that's required by the federal government. We're not asking this on a countywide basis. It's it's information that the federal government is requiring us to report um, on this first tranche at mid-cycle um, and then at the end of the year. Um, so it's more at this point about your ability to be able to capture that data. Um, we have to ensure that we're good stewards of the dollars that we're receiving. Um, and, and just on the review side of things um, and speaking on behalf of our review team that we have internally, um, you know, we would like to just have you report on, you know, this is what we spent um, and a kind of a general number of, of those that we served. 
Um, but the, unfortunately, uh, the federal government is requiring us to report these these demographic numbers um, as well as the expenditures. Um, I can't say that your inability is going to impact your your receipt of funds. I think we just want some information. And we did have organizations in the first round um, who did who was awarded funding and declined the funding because they could not um, adhere to the reporting requirements. I will say that the reporting requirements moving into tranche two will be very similar to um, what we're currently reporting. Um, I think Christine might be able to speak a little bit further on that, but um, those well, reporting I, requirements will be about the same. Thanks, Barbara. I mean, I, I acknowledge you, you're just the messenger and you're required to report up in the way you're required to report up. But if if 87% if of the recipients of the funding were struggling to comply with the the bureaucracy requirements that go with the funding, you know, maybe there's something wrong with the bureaucracy that comes down with the funding is, is the point I'm trying to make. But we will do everything in our human capability to to do what we need to do. But I just wanted to make sure that I didn't miss here, Megan, that those that may have struggled a little bit to comply with the admin are not going to be automatically excluded moving forward. And I will say that moving into quarter two reporting, um, we had many others um, that did not require follow-up. So I think it was a matter of that first go around. So we did have more in uh, quarter two that required less follow-up. So okay. Trish, I see your hand up. Yeah, I just have an additional clarifying question on that. So that metric of 13% that didn't require follow-up, does that mean that's 13% that you didn't have any questions on. So in other words, in the 80%, 87% bucket, you might have people who were collecting the data accurately, reporting the data accurately, but you had some question about, like the question you had on my Q1 was, where did the other money come from other than ARPA that you used to buy these things? So that wasn't really a data, it was a clarification question. Are those counted into the the 87% they are had reach out. Okay, yep, so it's not are. necessarily um, because it was a problem with the data or the data collection. It's more that we needed to a back and forth on clarification. Correct. And I would have okay. to say that as much as we had to follow up on the data piece of it, there was quite a bit of follow up on the expenditure piece mm -hmm. of it. So whether there wasn't the appropriate backup, whether the reviewer couldn't follow or tie numbers reported on the template back to numbers reported within backup. So um, so I think between the data and the expenditure piece of it, those were kind of the two main areas where most of the follow up had to or occurred. And then there was some of those little questions like you like you referred to. I think I can touch on just briefly about the data that Treasury is asking to capture. I think um, I don't know how deep they go into the numbers. What they really want to, to see is how we're identifying 
our populations. Um, they have clear, they have a distinction between impacted populations and disproportionately impacted populations. So are we assisting a family that has just been impacted or are we assisting a family that has been impacted by COVID and it's made even worse because of the other circumstances? So they want to know, too, you know, if the individual provides demographic information about their race or ethnicity, that kind of stuff. We understand that some people aren't providing that information, but what Treasury wants to get an idea is how we are tackling the problems in those populations that were disproportionately impacted. So it's basically make sure that we're going after that population and we can see and we can identify who they are and we know where they are and we're going to help them um, and trying to find them if they're not coming to us directly. So um, I think those are the numbers that they're looking for. And we understand that not everybody provides that if you are asking questions or just in, you know, the intake kind of form. So um, if you find that there's barriers, that's what um, they were kind of asking too, like for round two, you know, what's what have you struggled with with this round? What has made it difficult to capture this information? And if it's something that we can find a solution for or maybe address that in our reporting, then we will definitely do that, too. Um, Christine, there's a question in the chat. Um, given you're the ARPA expert, I'm going to put this back to you. Could the ARPA funding be used in part to revisit the human service, the human service strategic plan, which in turn could help look forward at human services, for example, transformational change? I think so, yes. Um, what Treasury wants us to do is identify barriers, um, identify those determinants of health that need uh, that attention. I, I'm not sure I know what's in the strategic plan, so I can't speak directly to that. But if it's taking an uh, a approach at the whole big picture, um, if the strategic plan was maybe done prior to the pandemic, and now it's in order to take a another big look at kind of where everybody is now as a result of this pandemic, that would definitely be an eligible use of those dollars. And if it's finding a solution um, that's that maybe changes our path a little bit because we now have you know new problems identified, then yeah, Treasury says we can do that. I don't know what it would take to revisit the strategic plan. Um, I'm, I don't know who put that effort together, if that was a, just a county. We're all kind of talking about it and and, okay. and looking at the possibilities. So I just was curious if, if that could be a potential source of funding if we decided that we all wanted to look at that again and, and figure out a path forward. So thank you for the clarification. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I do have one sort of minor, again, logistical question, but when the survey goes out, will it be called a needs assessment? I guess to me, I'm thinking needs assessment means more of like a broader community assessment with 
surveys and listening sessions and data points and all kinds of things. Um, so I'm just curious. I think there's a little bit of concern I have about it maybe getting confused with the formal needs assessment that we all participated in in 2017. So I was just curious, like, how is it going to be titled outwardly to the public and to the board when data is collected? That's a great point, and thank you for that feedback. Um, I know we've heard a little bit um, kind of similar feedback already, um, so that hasn't been determined. Um, we just met with our public affairs group, um, I believe on Tuesday this week, where we're putting together that strategic plan of communication moving forward that not only includes our nonprofit organizations, but kind of our ARPA dollars overall. So great feedback. We'll certainly take that into consideration. And I can I can see your your point to the the differences in that. So thank you for that. And again, at this point, we really haven't determined that specific plan moving forward. And what one more question. So the next session that um, is scheduled, can you it actually that one yep. and the other one, can you talk a little bit more about like what the topics are for that? I saw the title, sure. but I didn't really understand what that meant. Great. Thank you for that, because that was the one thing I was going to do now. Um, so their next uh, our office, office hours listening session is scheduled for Thursday, March 24th at 10 o'clock. And our focus again will be um, talking about our, our needs assessment or a needs survey um, and kind of finalize that, uh, kind of talk about uh, specific questions, things like that. In between now and then, staff will get together um, and kind of come up with some thoughts and ideas based on our conversation today. Um, and then again, just share general input um, as we move forward, looking at these three buckets, looking at other potential uses of funds. Um, then the last three sessions will again be focused on kind of that general input. Um, March 4th at 1 o'clock is the third one. Thursday, April 21st at 9.30 is the fourth one. And then the fifth one is Wednesday, March 4th at 9.30. And I can put these in the chat. You say just general input on those last three. Do you mean like related to ARPA or just related to ARPA, okay. use of the ARPA dollars, the three buckets, how to talk about that or not the three buckets. So just kind of that general input on, on moving forward. And again, I think seeking information and feedback as we move forward uh, to get as much information as we can to present to the board. So have we answered, or, or have we, I, I forget if there was one more question that um, Megan had that she wanted some feedback on. I know we talked about question number two, but I can't remember. I thought there was one more that she said we might have to look at. I know we only have a couple minutes, but. Um, I, that's a great question. I am not sure myself. I don't I have the she survey. Which one it was. <laughs> so on the, on the, I, well, I know she, came into the meeting talking about um, what the county, the Board of Supervisors had described as the need and then what we hear from you guys for the last year and whether or not we need to realign um, basically as, as 
the needs as described by the Board of Supervisors if that needs to be updated based on what has happened over the last year. Um, that's how she started the meeting. I don't know if that's what you were thinking about. I think I was just making sure that we were helping give you guys the feedback that you were looking for about how to best assess kind of where we are. So if I heard correctly, it was making sure that we all agree on the, the date and the time and the parameters so that you're starting from that level, you know, what is the new normal, right? We had that that conversation. Um, and then a way to sort of project and look forward to. Um, and then I think that, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that inflation and all of those things that are affecting everything. I mean, I think maybe yeah. you should include a question in there about that, because although it may not feel like it's, you know, directly attributable to ARPA or to ARPA, <laughs> to uh, COVID, ah! um, you know, I, it, it is related um, and certainly is affecting everybody, no matter who you are. So, um, yeah, I think that we talked about it as defining the impact and if, you know, certain vulnerabilities were created by the pandemic or exacerbated by the pandemic. And then we got into the conversation of finding that root cause and, yeah. and how we. Okay, I just want to make sure we're helping you. Yes, thank you. Um, very good conversation. Very, very helpful. Um, again, if you have some other thoughts or ideas, uh, let Megan, myself, Christine know. Also encourage you um, to jump on the, the call on the 24th. Again, that's at 10 o'clock. I did put those in the in the chat. Um, but yes, thank you. I appreciate your time um, and your commitment to this effort. Um, your thoughts are greatly appreciated. So thank you all. Thank you Thank all. Thank you. Take care. Bye, everybody. Okay.